Thanks for listening to the Highlands podcast. At Highlands, we believe in leading you into a growing relationship with Jesus and equipping you to have a life full of purpose as you build your faith. We can't wait for you to join us next weekend. But for now, enjoy this message from our communicators. Thank you kindly. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back for those of you who were here this morning. Um, Can I just say... It's been a real honour and privilege for my son and I to be with you this weekend. We had a great couple of services this morning, a great staff training uh, this afternoon with uh, some amazing leaders. You guys are really blessed. You've got some really amazing people in this church. Um, But I don't know about you, I'm excited for tonight. I'm really looking forward to seeing what God's going to do. And uh, so why don't we kick it off with a little bit of prayer. Let's pray and then we'll get underway. Father God, we just honour you. We glorify your name. We, we just declare your goodness. Thank you, God, that you are in the throne room of heaven. And as long as you're on the throne, what have we got to worry, worry about? I, I just thank you so much, God, that we place our faith and trust in you. So no matter what might be going on in our lives, and yes, we do go through ups and downs. There are challenges. There are tragedies and travesties. I thank you, God, that you never leave us nor forsake us and that your heart is for us. And God, I just pray that you would be with us tonight. Really open up our hearts and our minds to receive what it is that you want us to say. May you be glorified. And for this, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, can I just say, the whole COVID thing sucks. Is that all right to just like put it out there? Um, I've been grounded since uh, March 2020. I was on one of the last aeroplanes back into the country. And, and so for the last 18 months, I've pretty much been unemployed. One could say my, my income and living comes from traveling the world and speaking. I was on average overseas about 10 days a month. And uh, of course, things are a little bit different now. And, and, and there are always blessings to be found in that season, being home with the family a little bit more, gave us opportunity, finished project. Um, but I know that some of you have gone through similar ups and downs and difficulties and concerns, and there are questions about the future. And look, no one is immune from the challenges of life. In fact, I think it's pretty fair to say that the only qualification that you need to experience some kind of travesty in life is simply to be born, because no one is immune. We, we, we all go through this, but how, how we go through this is really a testimony to our faith, and that's really what I want to tap in tonight. I want to talk about how can we actually go through um, or grow through despair, and, and this morning was great in terms of going through tragedy, but I want to take it to the next level um, this evening and just allow some room for God's Holy Spirit to move, and so I literally wrote down a couple of brief notes, and we're just going to leave the rest to God and see what happens. When I was traveling back in those days, I would love to um, uh, watch people. I, I, I know I can't help myself. I'm, I'm a psychologist and I, I, maybe it's a bit of a nerdy psychology thing to do, but people to me are fascinating. Like it's much more entertaining than watching TV, especially because travel is one of those few experiences that most people, for whatever reason, find stressful. Now, now you could say, oh, well, you've got to imagine those long flights and you're jet lagged and so you're upside down. No, no, just boarding the aeroplane is stressful. Like I would, I don't know if you've ever observed um, this phenomenon where people, they've got their, their ticket in their hand and as they're boarding the aeroplane, they're, they're walking down the aisle, they've got 18C on their number and so they're looking, okay, 16, uh, 17, 18, and lo and behold, 
someone is in my seat. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I love when this happened. I'm like, I'm like, got the remote control out. Turn up the volume. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to respond in this moment? And so the most common observation I make is they do a double take. They're like, 18C, did I get this right? 18C, yes, there is definitely someone in my seat. And then they look around. And they go, well, 17A is free. I guess they might be traveling together. Maybe they're friends. It's not a big deal. Like I'm traveling on my own. I'll, I'll just take a seat in 17A. The second most common observation I make is there's confrontation. So it's 18C, 18C. Hey, mate, you're in my seat. And this person says, no, no, this is my seat. And as though I've just been sworn out, the veins pop out of my neck as I now show proof and evidence that this is, and I go, I'm like really worked up. All of a sudden I went from zero to 100 in 2.3 seconds. Have you ever seen that? I love it. I'm like, yes. <laughs> the third most common observation that I make is for the person who's now sitting in 17A because they decided not to be confrontational, what do you think happens next? Somebody else comes along and says, hey, mate, you're in my seat. And previously they were passive and now they're aggressive as they're like, well, where am I supposed to sit? That person's in my seat. Why didn't you just say that in the first place? Like, I've got a question. Where's the person that says, hey, mate, looks like we've been given the same seat number. Hey, you stay there. I'm going to check with the hostess because maybe I'm going to get bumped up to business class. Like, isn't that what you would do? Well, you will now, eventually when planes get back into the air, unless they mandate vaccines. But the idea is that whenever I travel, I would take eventually my seat and I would put my baggage on my lap because it's just so convenient to have everything that you need. You know, you've got your iPad. Um, I'm, you know, I'm 48 now. I've got my reading glasses. Things are falling apart on this body of mine. And so I've got my book, the latest book that I'm reading. What is it? The Biography of Ken and Moira Wooten. Okay, that's really good. That's a book. Okay, so, so I've got my latest book that I'm reading. And inevitably, the hostess comes along and says to me, oh, I'm sorry, sir, but you're going to have to stow that bag either underneath the seat in front of you or in the overhead locker. To which I say to her, oh, no, it's okay. I don't mind having my bag here because it's so convenient. I've got everything that I, I need. And it's not disturbing any of the other passengers, so thanks, but, you know, no thanks. To which the octave in her voice changes <laughs> mysteriously as she says to me, I'm sorry, sir, I don't think you seem to understand because the plane cannot take off until you have dealt with your baggage. And I would suggest, what a great metaphor for life. Because let's just be honest for a second. Some of us in this room, we got some baggage and we've been dragging it along with us during this season. But who knows, that stuff is holding you back. If you want to take off a new life, maybe tonight is the night that we deal with our baggage. Because the truth is, whenever we get hurt or hard done by, whenever we've been offended or betrayed, it's almost like we hold on to our hurt and our pain. Now, it's not too, did somebody just say, oh no, <laughs> don't worry, don't worry, it's okay. Whenever we hold on, we don't hold it too closely to ourselves. We kind of hold it out, but we hold it out for all to see. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's a, it's a little bit like when you stub your toe, you're like, oh, ow, oh, oh, and then you nurse your foot and then you curse the step in which you stubbed it on. And then like an hour later, after the pain is gone, oh, you won't believe what happened to me. We love to rehearse the story and tell everyone. So we nurse, curse and rehearse what has transpired 
because it gives us a degree of sympathy. People are kind. They're like, oh, you poor thing. You were right, my dear. I'm like, oh, well, I'm getting there. And so we hold on to our hurt, our pain, our bitterness, our resentment. But the thing is, at the very beginning, it's relatively light. It's quite easy to hold on to my baggage. It doesn't actually matter, however, how heavy or light my baggage is. It doesn't matter if it's a big issue or just a minor offense. Because the longer I hold on to my baggage with outstretched arm, it starts to get heavier and heavier. What starts happening in my body, technically speaking, is my body is producing glucocorticoids, technically referred to as cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone, and as the, the name suggests, gluco, it goes to the edges of my body and turns into glucose, a special type of sugar that gives me the energy to sustain this stress that I'm holding on to in my life. Now, that's a good thing in one sense, because, you know, hey, I've got stress, I need this extra added energy, but cortisol... If it's not dealt with, it's very destructive for your life. It leads to weight gain, aging, degenerative disease, like all of the things we want more of, right? No. And, and so if I'm still standing here in 10 minutes' time with outstretched arm holding on to my baggage, you might need to call the ambulance because this, quite literally, could kill me. Something so simple, something so small, something so trivial could actually cause me such destructive destruction that my body goes into toxic shock because I'm producing too much of the stress hormone cortisol to sustain a stress in my life that shouldn't be there in the first place. My responsibility as a Christian is to make a decision, to make a choice, to put it down and let it go. And the moment I do, there is this instant relief that comes. But I gotta be honest and say, my arm is still paining me. Like, even though there's relief, it doesn't make the pain immediately go away because that's a little bit like forgiveness. It's like I could say, I, I forgive you, but it doesn't take the pain away for what's transpired. But for every day that I don't go back and pick it back up again now, I start to go through this healing process. It's like forgiveness. Forgiveness takes place in an instant, but healing often takes place over time. And so I want to make sure that I'm not going back to scratch the rash, that I'm not going to nurse, curse, and rehearse it anymore. I'm going to immerse it in the love of Jesus, reverse it, and disperse it from my life. I've got to make a decision to put it down and let it go, because otherwise it will be toxic for me. I'll often use an analogy of, of, of a snake bite. And whenever I travel the world, I love to tell the people in different countries, in Australia, we've got the most poisonous snakes in the world. But interesting note, no one has actually ever died from a poisonous snake bite. Did you know that? Not a single person in the history of the world has died from a poisonous snake bite. Now, now, you might be sitting there thinking, saying, yes, they have. I, I work in the medical industry. I'm a nurse or I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'd like, we, here in Toowoomba, we've got poisonous snakes here in Toowoomba. You know, we've got, just got a little bit in the eastern inland Taipan. You know, we've got the black snake, the brown snake. The, we've got the, you know, red belly black. We've got, we've got all of the snakes and, and people definitely die from poisonous snake bites. And I would say, no, actually, you're incorrect because people don't die from the bite. They die from the poison that remains in their system. And in the same way, we don't die from the offense. We don't die from the betrayal. We don't die from the words that were spoken or the act that was committed. But what we now hold on to when we nurse, curse and rehearse that bad stuff, 
as we love to lie there in bed and go through it and reflect on it, that stuff, quite literally, could kill you. Our number one responsibility is to get rid of the poison that is in our system. Oftentimes, if I'm in Africa and I say to the kids, hey, what's the first thing you need to do if you get bitten by a snake? They're all like, go kill the snake. <laughs> but killing the snake doesn't help you. It's what's inside you that will hurt you. And that's what we need to contend with and deal with tonight. When we put it down, there is a certain freedom that follows. And it kind of reminds me of a story of a, actually a movie that I saw not so long ago. I mentioned William Wallace and Braveheart this morning. Well, this is like Braveheart on steroids. I don't exactly know the title of the film. It's very gruesome, but I've got to be honest and say, I loved it. It was amazing. And, um, and so let me just give you a brief snapshot of it. There are these rival tribes in the highlands of Scotland, very suitable for, you know, a church like Highlanders and, and Highlands. And, and so these, these Highlanders are up there and, the, and, and they're warring with one another, but a little bit like something out of the Bible. Instead of just the clans fighting each other, each clan would choose a champion to do the fighting and kind of winner takes all, like David and Goliath. And so what happened was that one clan had stolen the champion of another clan and he was held captive. They would just bring him out to do the fighting on their behalf and as soon as the fight was over, as soon as he'd win, they'd throw him back into his cage. So he was a prisoner. But one night, Thanks to the help of a young boy, he managed to escape. And as they were making their way over the highlands of Scotland, they chanced upon another clan. And the chief of the clan wanted to know, hang on, are you friend or are you foe? And so the young boy explained that this one-eyed warrior, he was a captive, but now he'd been set free. To which the chief clan leader asked, So, now you've got your freedom. What do you plan to do with your freedom? And when that was spoken, it literally flew off the screen and hit me full force because I thought, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, freedom is not just freedom from something. It's not just being able to put it down and let it go. No, what are you being set free for? What are you being set free to do? That freedom isn't just freedom from, it's also for and to. And that is a question that each and every one of us needs to be able to ask and answer. Okay, so we always want our freedom. I always want this junk in my life. I want to be overcoming my anxiety, my depression, my, my betrayal, my hurt, my hang up, whatever it might be. I want to let go of my baggage, but for what? Oftentimes, we find ourselves standing in front of the mirror, especially after the 4-0 mark. And uh, we, we just look at ourselves and we just <laughs> shake our heads and we go, yeah, this, this, won't, this won't do anymore. But maybe I'm just speaking about myself then. Um, and, so, and so we are pricked in our conscience to want to do something about it. Which is kind of good because it's called a New Year's resolution. It's like, I'm going running. Like, this is it. I'm going to do something. And so it's good when we don't like something in our lives, when we want to be free from it. And so we make a decision, January 1, 
I am going running. And we go through what is known in psychology as the stages of readiness for change. And there are a whole variety of different stages. The first stage is called pre-contemplation. It's interesting because it basically means you're not even thinking about change. You are pre the stage of actually thinking I probably should do something about it. Second stage is contemplation, where I'm going, okay, maybe I really need to do something. Third stage is preparation. This is where you go out to the sports shop, you get your latest sports shoes and your spandex, and you are like got your headband and you're ready, you're ready to go. Please note, you haven't done anything. You're just preparing for change. But then comes January 1. True to your word, despite the night of partying the night before, you're out there early in the morning and you're out coughing and spluttering, thinking to yourself, like, who even does this? But you did it because you were committed to the cause. January 2, you go out there running again. It's fantastic. You're not as stressed. You're not as sore. You're not as coughing as much. And January 3, you're actually getting into a rhythm now. As I'm actually starting to enjoy this. This is great. But on January 4th, it was raining. And that was the last day you ever went running. <laughs> I think the statistic is something like 90% of people don't make it past the second week of January in terms of accomplishing their New Year's resolution. Some ridiculous statistic. But here's the reason why. When we stand in front of the mirror and we don't like something and we want to be free from something, just using it as an analogy, well, it's good because we call it negative motivation. It's good because it gets you to the starting line, but it almost never helps you cross the finishing line. In order for you to go the distance, you need to do what the Apostle Paul refers to in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You need to have a renewing of the mind. The Apostle Paul says, he puts it like this, don't be conformed to the likeness of this world, always whinging, whining, complaining, or making excuses as to why I can't change, or why this has happened to me, or this, that, and the other. No, be transformed by this. Getting a check up from the neck up, taking your stinking thinking, getting rid of it, and renewing your mind, having a different perspective on things. And so literally speaking, we need to go from negative motivation that gets us to the starting line, and we need to renew our mind and engage positive motivation, which is what helps us cross the finishing line. Sometimes when we are down and out, well-meaning Christians might come along and pat us on the shoulder and say, there, there, dear, but you do know you are in sin. <laughs> We're like, sorry, what? The Bible says, Philippians 4 verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Once again, I'm not sure why I went into an American accent, but it's just, it happens. It's just a manifestation of something. I'm not sure. And sometimes we go, always? Like, but what about when I'm hurt? What about when I, I'm in despair? Like, what about when things are not going well? What do you mean rejoice? Something that's just sick and twisted, right? Well, in case we're questioning, <laughs> the Scripture says, let me say it again, just for good measure, for double measure. Rejoice! And so if you are not rejoicing, you are sinning. No, no you're not. It's just what that people might say, because, because what they've done is they've actually misunderstood what the word rejoice means. We mistakenly thought the rejoice must be a feeling. But rejoice is not a feeling. Rejoice is an activity. It's something that we get to do irrespective of whether or not we feel like it. When I have a renewed mind, I have my eyes on the end goal. 
When I've got the why, I can contend with any what that might come my way. So when it's raining, it doesn't matter if it's raining. I'm committed to the cause. Positive motivation basically is this is what I do want versus what I don't want. In psychology, we recognize whatever it is that you focus on, you simply get more of. So if you're always focusing on what you don't want, you'll simply get more of what you don't want. But the renewing of the mind is the recognizing that whatever I water in my garden will grow. So let me make sure that my focus is fixed on something which is positive. It's a little bit like a light bulb. If you, if you took a 65-watt old-school light bulb and put it into this room and turned off all of the other lights, it would very dimly light up the room. But if we were to collapse the light from a single light bulb, it forms a laser beam, and that laser beam is strong enough to cut through steel. That's what focus is. That if we can get our focus right, if we can get our focus fixed on Him, if we can get a focus fixed on the things that we do want as opposed to the things that we don't want, it helps us go the distance. But we have to have a renewed mind to understand. It's not about the feeling. It's not about, oh, rejoice in the Lord, always. No, 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 no. Because some of the greatest faith heroes of the Bible, they wrestled with some strong, heavy stuff, but they remained fixed in their focus, which enabled them to get through the challenges that they went through. I was in, as I said this morning, I was in Iraq once I was doing a trauma rehabilitation training for a group of um, Yazidi men, of which I believe there are many um, Yazidis in, in Toowoomba. I hope there are some in the audience. If not, I'm praying and prophetically saying someday soon. And, and I love the Yazidi culture. So hospitable, so welcoming, uh, such beautiful people. But of course, the United Nations or the UNHCR, um, the High Commission for Refugees, said that the average length of time that they will stay refugees in this particular area in Iraq was 18 years. Now, I don't know about you, but 18 years sounds to me like a prison sentence. And so as I was talking to this group of, well, actually, they were just men in this particular training, and, and I said, but in actual fact, we could look at this as horrendous and twiddle our thumbs and sit in our, our jail cell, metaphorically speaking, and feel sorry for ourselves, or we could be like Joseph, because the story of Joseph is very similar to our story in many senses. What's, what's this guy, he got betrayed by his brothers, put into a pit. They sold him as a prisoner into slavery, went to Egypt. He got a job working in a palace, but the, the boss's wife betrayed him. I mean, you know this story. And then he got sent to prison while in prison, interpreted a, a, the dreams for a couple of guys and, and said, remember me when you get out. But do you think they would? No. And so the guy betrays him again. But eventually, oh, that's right. That's that Joseph guy who interprets dreams when the Pharaoh needed a dream interpreted. And so he comes out and the Pharaoh gives him a promotion and he becomes president of the nation from the pit to the palace, to the prison, to the presidency in four moves. Like, but with every step of the way, Joseph, he didn't feel sorry for himself. He actually rose to the challenge so that when he was working in the palace, he became head of the palace because he dedicated himself. Whatever was in his hand, he did it with his might. Like he, he applied himself because if this is the situation I'm in, well, then let's make the most of it. And then he got sent to prison. Well, Scripture says he ended up running the prison as well, such that these difficult days were actually his training. It was his leadership training. God preparing him for what was yet to come. Can you imagine if he just sat in the back of his cell and twiddled his thumbs and felt sorry for himself? Woe is me, had this victim mindset. Everyone else is to blame, it's not fair. And this. 
Well, he would never have graduated to where God wanted him to be. I love that with a great spirit, with a renewed mind, he exited prison and went to become the president or the prime minister of the nation. 2IC, second in charge of the Pharaoh of the land. And so I said to the Yazidi man, like, God, he could be training you right now. Like, this could be your training ground, to which they said, what a stupid story. The story is found in the Torah, found in the Bibles, found in the Quran. It's a, it's a, it's a great story. I mean, the, the, the story's slightly changed in various different versions and whatnot. But it's a story that's common to all. And they were all familiar with the story. And they're like, just that's a fun, some folk story, some tale from days gone by. I'm like, oh, no, you must have misunderstood. No, this is the modern day story of Nelson Mandela. So the guy was in prison and came out of prison and went into the presidency but never lost focus in prison. Now, irrespective of whether or not you agree with his politics, because that's a whole other story, but while in prison, he's like, okay, so you're going to be my minister of this, and the cabinet's going to be made up of you, and this and that and the other. And so never lost focus. All I'm suggesting is maybe, just maybe, there's a renewing of our mind that could also take place, that we too could tap into freedom and understand our purpose. But in order to do that, well, we kind of would probably need to understand the, the history of the universe. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking, there's like not that much time left. Actually, it's 29 minutes. 20, 29 minutes, or is that 29 seconds? I've got 29 minutes. Praise the Lord. I'm sure that's wrong, but I'm going to take it. Um, so, so let's just quickly, shortest version in history, two-minute history of the universe. It goes something along the lines of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, Ruach Elohim, hovered upon the face of the waters. And God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And God separated the light from the dark. It was evening. It was morning. It was the first day. On day two and subsequent days, because we've got to move this story right along now, he created a whole stack of other stuff. And then on day six, Jesus, in communion with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, said, let us make human beings in our own image. And so male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. And he said, prosper, be fruitful, subdue the earth, multiply, take dominion. It's interesting that the idea of kingdom is made up of two words, king, royalty, and dom, dominion or domain. In other words, take charge, have authority over the domain or the dominion that you have been given. But here's what we're also giving you. It's called free will. Now you need to be very careful with this one. Here are some guidelines to help you thrive and prosper. You can eat of any of the trees in the garden, but this tree, the fruit of it, you should not, you should not eat. It's the tree of the knowledge of both good and evil, and the day in which you eat of it, you will surely die. Please note, Scripture did not say, if you eat of it, you will die. No, in the day that you do, that'll be the day that I die. And so it didn't quite work out the way in which God had hoped, and human beings betrayed the God that they were in relationship with, walking in the cool of the evening with, in communion with, turned, his, turned their back on God and did the one thing that they knew that they shouldn't do and brought upon themselves a curse and death and destruction and decay and disease entered into the world. But I love how this story goes next, that God so loved the world that He didn't want to allow it to remain broken and dysfunctional. 
that he gave his only son such that in the book of John it says, in the beginning was the Word. Now the Word was with God and the Word was God. And through all things, the world was created through the Word and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is Jesus, the creator of the universe. And he come and dwelt among us and then he gave up his life free willingly as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, paying the penalty that we would do to undo the wrong and turn it into a right, to fix what was broken and restore humanity into relationship with the God of the universe. Can I just say, let it be said that on this day in Highlands Church in Toowoomba, the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached because that right there is pretty much the sum total of the gospel. That Jesus paid the debt that we, we owed. In other words, Jesus came to set us free. So, now you've got your freedom. What do you plan to do with your freedom? See, the story's not over. It's just beginning. Now that we've been set free, Jesus says, it is for freedom's sake that I've come to set you free. So live life and live it with abundance. Please note, that doesn't just sound like the absence of debt. So, so if you're in debt, if you're in minus and somebody comes along and pays your debt, you are now at neutral or zero. That's otherwise referred to in the financial world as broke. <laughs> so. Now you've got your freedom. What do you plan to do? Like, where are you going? Because when Jesus describes freedom, that you would have life and live it with abundance, that's not the absence of debt only. It's the entering into a great resource. It's taking what you value in life and applying it with great vigour so as to create, to cultivate. And we get to be co-creators with Christ. Why? Because it is in His own image and His likeness that He created us. And if he created great stuff and commissions us, be fruitful and multiply, we get to create as well. So what do you plan to do with your freedom? Look, when it comes to storms in our lives and the setbacks that we experience, we all want the storm to be over so that we can be free. But maybe there's growth to be had in the midst of the storm, just like Joseph. You know, it's, it's okay to go through a storm. You just don't want the storm to live in you. You don't want the storm to take up residence in your life. It's okay to live through a storm. You just don't want the storm to live in you. But when we go through storms, we have to change our perspective and understand that actually, did you know that vegetation grows much better when it is watered by the rain of a thunderstorm? Much better than just by a normal rain shower or by a sprinkler system. Research has shown that when the lightning strikes, it separates the nitrons in the air and they fall together with the rain to the earth. And when they hit the ground, they become infused with the dirt and turn into nitrate, which is a form of fertilizer. Isn't it amazing that woven into the fabric of the creation is that, hey, when there are storms, get excited because things are about to grow. If anyone knew about storms in their life, I reckon Jesus' disciples would have known a thing or two about that. How did the clock go from 30 minutes to four minutes? See, I knew it was lying. <laughs> but in conclusion, look, 
the disciples, they would have gone through all sorts of ups and downs with Jesus. And one scripture records that one night they actually got into a storm. The context of the story is Jesus is ministering. There's a crowd of people. They're pressing in. Jesus, over here, I need healing. Jesus, I need provision. Jesus, Jesus, help me. And Jesus is like, you know what? Time out. I think I'm out of here. I'm going to jump in the boat and I'm going to cross over to the other side so that you all can't follow. In fact, let's pick up the story in Mark chapter 4. Verse 35, it says, And on the same day when evening had come, he, being Jesus, said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him, him being Jesus, along in the boat as he was, and and other little boats were there with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat such that it was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you even care that we're about to die? And then Jesus arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But then Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Why are you so fearful? Like, how is it that you have such little faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who is this guy who can even still the wind and the waves? There's a couple of really cool things that I think we would do well to tease out of this story before we call the night to an end. And the first is that, did you notice the passage said said that there were other little boats that went with them? Whenever I read this before, I'm like, oh, Jesus in the boat, the waves crashing into the boat, everyone thought they were going to die. Jesus wakes up and says, peace, be still, and it's all over, Red Rover. But can you imagine what must have been going on in the minds of the people in the other boats? who all of a sudden, like this windstorm arose and the waves are crashing the boat and they're thinking, we're going to die. And then all of a sudden, dead calm. They must have thought, whew, that was lucky. I guess it's fate. Having no idea how intimately involved Jesus was in bringing calm to the storm. Why? Because Jesus wasn't in their boat. Maybe you've had a similar experience where you you pulled out into traffic and all of a sudden, like a, a truck ran through the red light. And you put on the brakes at the last second and went, whoa, that was so lucky. Having no idea how intimately involved Jesus was in saving your backside because, well, Jesus wasn't in your car. But I love what King David says, yea, that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We fear no evil. Why? Because Jesus is in my boat or he's by my side. He is with me. Only those people who had Jesus in their boat knew how intimately involved Jesus was in bringing a calm to the storm. The second observation is that it says that Jesus was asleep in the stern. If you're not very familiar with sailing, um, well, the stern is the back of the boat. And so Jesus has gone to lie down and, and have a sleep on a pillow, no less. But when the waves are rising and, and the waves are crashing into the boat, the stern or the back of the boat stays on the lowest point on the water. The front of the boat goes up and then down and up and then down. And so just think about it logically for a second. If the waves are crashing into the boat and Jesus is at the stern at the back and the front of the boat is rising up, what, what does that tell us? Jesus was a wet Jesus. If the waves were crashing into the boat, 
such that the boat was already filling with water and the boat goes up, all of that water would have rushed down to the back where Jesus was sleeping or trying to sleep. And, and what happens when you're fast asleep and, and somebody gets a glass of water and, and, and throws it in your face? What you don't know? This is what happens. If you were asleep moments ago, you are now awake. And instead of getting offended at the wind of the waves for wetting him, Jesus would have just wiped his face and patted his pillow and gone back to sleep. But then the disciples disturb his slumber and wake him and say, Jesus, you don't even care. Please note they did not say, Jesus, wakey, wakey, like you're not even aware that we're about to die. No, they accuse him, you don't even care that we're about to die. In other words, you full well know what's going on right now and you're not doing anything about it. I wonder if we've prayed those prayers where we've been praying, God, you see my situation. What have you gone on holidays? Like, what's up with this? Do something. And there's silence. What are you, asleep? Don't you even care? And when Jesus wakes up and he stills the wind in the waves, he then turns his attention to the disciples and says, what's wrong with you people? Where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? And it says that they feared exceedingly, which means they were more afraid now having seen what Jesus did than moments ago when they thought they were about to die. And they end by saying, who is this guy? Who can even still the wind and the waves? Well, what a great question. Maybe that's the question they should have started with. When the wind and the waves are rising and the waves are crashing into the boat such that the boat is filling with water and they think that they're going to die and they turn around and they go, hang on, but who's that guy? Oh, it's Jesus. Well, if it's okay for Jesus to sleep in the midst of a storm, if they truly would have known who Jesus was, they wouldn't have woke him up. It's Jesus! If they truly would have known who Jesus was, they'd have walked down the back of the boat and said, well, Flip, if it's okay for you to sleep, I'm going to lie down next to you. Because that right there is what you call a peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. How can you sleep in the midst of a storm when you're about to die? It's a great question. Who is this guy? Jesus even asks the same question of his disciples. Hey guys, who do people say that I am? Some said, oh, some say that you're Elijah, reincarnation. Others say you're John the Baptist. And Jesus must have thought, hey, Lige and cousin Jono, woo, kind of cool. But who do you say that I am? Because at the end of the day, that is the single most important question that each and every one of us needs to be able to ask and answer. Who do you say that he is? Before Jesus departs this world, he says to his disciples, I want to give you a parting gift. He said, it is my peace that I give you. But then he clarifies it. He says, not as the world gives peace. In other words, Jesus is not some kind of beauty pageant saying, I long for world peace. No, he's saying, even in the midst of a storm, even though there might be dark times, even though the world might be turned upside down by a supposed virus and government overreach, even in the midst of these dark times, I'm going to give you my peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that you could even lie down in the midst of a storm. That right there is something special. 
but we only get to embrace it if we accept the gift that we've been given. And the only way we can accept the gift that's been given is if we're able to answer the question, so who do you say that he is? As we close out this service, maybe we can stand to our feet and, and pray. And I really would love God to commission each and every one of us that, yes, the gospel message is that Jesus has come to set us free. But so, now you've got your freedom. What do you plan to do with your freedom? What gifts, skills, talents, resources, opportunities do you have? What call of God? What's the purpose that you could tap into, that you could run after with a single fixed focus with positive motivation, not what I don't want, but what I really want, such that I've got the motivation, I've got the steam to pursue the dream, that I've got the why that can overcome any what. And with God on my side, well, if He is for me, who or what could be against me? And even though we might go through deep, dark valleys, the good news is there are mountain peaks on the other end. And so we just gotta keep on going. As the saying goes, if you're going through hell, don't stay there, keep on going. Don't camp there, let's keep on going. And if He is with us, and if we know who He is, then we can tap into a peace that doesn't make sense. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding, but even in the darkest of times, we're okay. And that is my prayer for you. Father God, I just thank You so much that we are okay. I thank You, God, that You're still on the throne. You know exactly what's happening in this world. I thank You, God, that You saw it from the beginning. And I just pray God, that each and every one of us here tonight, God, that you would give us that peace, that we would be able to know who you really are, not get freaked out by what you're up to, but really trust that you do have our best interests at heart. And God, if you are for us, oh God, I thank you that even though we walk through the deepest and darkest of valleys, we need fear no evil. I thank you for that peace that doesn't make sense, the peace that enabled Jesus to lie down in the midst of a storm. But God, even though you set us free, I pray, God, that you would give us brand new vision. Help us to dream again, not to think bigger, but to think better in terms of what we could do with our freedom. And I pray, God, that each and every one of us would be spurred on by tonight's message and have the right motivation and a single focus on you as we look forward with great expectation for what you're going to do. But God, there'll be people in this audience tonight who don't actually know you, who don't have yet a relationship with you. So God, I pray that in this final moment that you would give them the courage, the peace that surpasses all understanding to say yes to the invitation to be in relationship with you. God, give them the courage to do the thing that they know they need to do. So just right now, while every eye is closed with every head bowed, I just want to end this service by praying a quick prayer for anyone who would like to make a decision to be able to say, I would love to have Jesus in my boat. I don't want to go it along anymore. Jesus has already extended the invitation. He says, anybody who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that I am Lord from that day forward, you enter into relationship with Him. It's pretty much that simple. The, ex the gift has already been extended. You don't have to have it all together. There's nothing you can do that can earn it or deserve it. It's already been done. 2,000 years ago on the cross at Calvary, Jesus gave up His life so that we could have ours back. He doesn't give us a second chance. He gives us a brand new beginning. And this is our moment. And if you would like to invite Jesus into your boat and say yes and tap into a peace that surpasses all understanding, 
then make a bold declaration together with me tonight. I'm going to pray a simple prayer in a few moments. It just involves three quick things. One, thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be in relationship with you, God. It's that simple. And two, sorry, sorry that I went my own way, did my own thing thinking I was God doing whatever I wanted to do. But, but, but today I recognise, no, actually you're God. And so the third part of the prayer is to simply say yes, to invite Jesus on board into our boat and recognise that if he is with us, then who or what could be against us? And that is it. If you'd like to pray this prayer and make this bold declaration of faith, then I invite you to simply repeat these words after me. In fact, why don't we all say it together? Let's just say, dear Jesus, thank you for inviting me to be in relationship with you. I'm sorry, God, for the mistakes that I've made. But thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me of my sins. I say yes to you. I'll follow you wherever you lead me. I invite you on my boat and I accept your peace in Jesus' name. Amen. God, I just pray a sealing with a kiss over each and every person who prayed that prayer with all sincerity in their heart. God, I pray that this is the day that something shifts in the heavenly realms. I thank you, God, that there is a celebration that is caused to break out in heaven when one person makes a decision to enter into your family. God, and we here at Highlands want to celebrate with those individuals who've made that decision today. So God, we thank you that we don't have to do it alone, that we get to do life together in community. And for this night, for all that you've done and all that you are yet to do, we thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you again for joining. We hope you feel encouraged to take these words with you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference. For more resources and to connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and our website.